Hi, I'm Keshav Naidu and this is Doctor the Brand. Together, we bring you inspiring stories from the world of brand building. So today in our studios, we have CEO and managing partner of EDH, Mr. Subhash Kamath. Before this, he was the group CEO at the Bates Group. Over his 32-year career, he has worked at Publicis, he has worked at Gray and Ogilvy. He is also the vice chairman of ASCI, the Advertising Standards Council of India. And in his spare time, he even plays with a rock band called Wanted Yesterday. Some of the brands that he's worked with in his long career are Parachute, Sephora, Johnny Walker, Virgin Mobile, Lee Jeans, Nokia, and this is just to name a few. Uh, welcome, Subhash Kamath on Talk to the Brand. It's an honor to have you on our show today. My pleasure, totally. Thank you. So, how should we get this started? Let's, uh, should we talk about your journey, uh, you know, how you got into advertising and what <laughs> led you here? Uh, that's a funny story, actually. Uh, I was in Calcutta. I studied in Calcutta. My, most of my school and college was in Calcutta. And uh, I remember I chose BCom as a stream purely as a default because I knew I, I would struggle with science. Okay. And uh, my brother kind of convinced me that in art, there's only an academic career to be looked at and not uh, something that I would do well in. Uh, and therefore, I chose BCom as the default. But while I was studying BCom, I hated all the subjects. Yeah. I hated accountancy. I hated all of that. Bookkeeping. Uh, bookkeeping <laughs> and... Um, my God, it was driving me up a wall. But luckily, our classes were only in the morning. So I had uh, a whole day to myself free. So I started taking up, you know, small jobs with organizations to do research for them and all, to earn some pocket money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And through that, I got to know a few people in advertising in Calcutta. So it was through research that you well, discovered it the... It was more from earning pocket money and research was one of the things that they asked me to do. Yeah. The other thing I was doing very well was these friends of ours and as we were doing skits for college festivals. Right. And one of the things we excelled at was ad spoofs. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we used to perform like whose line is it anyway? Yeah, that like an improv on the yeah, spot. Improv on the ad. spot and stuff like that. And and we were very successful. We used to win all the fests and we even came on television uh, in a youth program and performed and stuff like that. So while doing that, we used to watch a lot of television ads in order yeah. to spoof them. Yeah. So somewhere along the way, I guess during college, I started to feel that maybe advertising could be an exciting career for me because I always wanted something creative. Yeah, I didn't want to do the typical chartered accountancy, cost accountancy kind of yeah. stuff. And these kind of things helped me, uh, you know, do a few bits and, and pieces jobs and get an insight. And I got to know a few people in advertising. And all of them said, listen, you have to go to Bombay if you want to build a career in advertising. Mm-hmm. As soon as my graduation exam got over, without even waiting for my results, I... Just took a trade and came to Bombay, Just stayed trade. at uncle's house and uh, uh, went, did the rounds, did walked the round. around. What was the first agency that you walked into? I I just went by the list, you know. I tried to get into low, Lintas yeah. in those Advertise, days. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I didn't even have a, a, a post-graduation degree or an MBA. In those days, MBAs were the, the much the sought, sought after yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, so I couldn't get past the receptionist only at Lintas. <laughs> I tried JWT. I tried so many places. I gave about 32 interviews. Wow. And then a very close friend of mine who worked in Anand Bazaar, uh, Patrika. ABP, yeah. She kind of told me, why don't you join ABP just to earn, you know, at least start. And through that, in space selling, you'll meet a lot of you'll people meet, in advertising. You'll meet people, and yeah. maybe you'll get your break. Great advice. And as luck would have it, I think Ogilvy happened uh very quickly. Very good. Within one week of my joining ABP, Ogilvy interviews oh. <laughs> happened, right? And Piyush Pandey was my 
I remember interviewing me and uh, Piyush just asked me. Piyush was account supervisor that time. He yeah. had not moved into creative. Correct, correct. And he asked me just two questions. Do you play cricket? I said, yes, I play. Bowling or batting? I said, no, no. I said, okay, you join. He's also from Calcutta, right? I mean, I think he did partly. some stint in his uh, uh, career as a tea taster in Calcutta. Right. Uh, but he actually hired me. He said, advertising will be taught in You come and play cricket first. Because he was putting the <laughs> team together. Ogilvy team together. And that's how it happened. And I just took to it like a fish to water. I think Ogilvy was a fantastic alma mater. Uh, all of us youngsters who joined at that time were completely at home with Ogilvy's culture. And I think uh, a great number of massive advertising, big name celebrities, if you want to call it that, have come out of that era of Ogilvy. I, I, yeah, say, maybe, right? maybe. I, I don't know whether I'll call them celebrities, but yeah, a lot of us have done well uh, because of that grounding we got in Ogilvy. Right. I think the bosses were fantastic. Piyush, uh, Chintamani Rao, uh, our creative head was that time Suresh Malik, the legendary Suresh Malik. Yeah. Mani Iyer was the MD. Right. All of them were so, they were so inspiring for us, you know, as youngsters. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I mean, I, I couldn't believe my luck that after so many struggling for three months giving interviews, I landed in Ogilvy, which was one of the best, best agencies even in that time. And uh, then I never looked back. I mean, it was... Yeah. It was was Ogilvy... Sorry to interrupt you, but was Ogilvy going through this change around this time where, you know, uh, India was doing English advertising and then... No, 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 no not it, fully. No, not, no, no, no. Piyush was, uh, like I said, account supervisor. Right. Uh, after which, after a couple of years, he moved into uh, what is called the language writing cell. Wow. All right. So he would. It sounds comical. It sounds comical today. Yeah. Uh, and he would translate a lot of the campaigns that was written in English by the English writers. Uh, but then I think his real breakthrough came uh, when he did uh, the first Favikol ka jod hai tutega nahi. That campaign, you know, dam laga ke haisha. And then he wrote uh, Chal Meri Luna hmm. for the, you know, the small Scoot, moped the scooty, for the masses. The moped, yeah. yeah. And then uh, I was there when he wrote uh, the Mile Sur Mera Tumara lyrics for, for Malik Saab's film. And then I think, you know, and, and I worked very closely with Piyush because he was also the creative lead on uh, Unilever, which was one of my clients. And I think slowly the realization happened at that time that it's not just about translation. It's about actually expressing yourself in the Indian media. Thinking in the yeah, yeah. language And Piyush had this earthy uh, way of communicating and that was his time. I, I think that's the time India also was kind of coming out of its uh, so-called English hangover and, and wearing our Indianness very proudly on sleeves. Yeah. And that, that was really Piyush's time. I think yeah. he was, he was, he, he scored. So what year would that have been? I left Ogilvy in 89, by which time Piyush had already been firmly entrenched into the creative process. So I would say early 90s is when... That, that whole happened. that whole thing happened. And do you think that coincided with uh, the satellite television era in some absolutely. way? Absolutely, it did. Absolutely, it, they had to do with each other. Absolutely. Uh, so a lot of changes have happened since then. I mean, earlier when I first joined advertising, they used to be copy and art, but they were not necessarily teams. Right. The copywriter would write the ad and then give it to the art director, who would then lay it out because right. print was. Thinker and artist. That kind, kind of, of kind of, yeah. I think towards later when television became the big thing, the mm. storytelling narrative mm. in television became a bigger thing. So the idea and the uh, using audio and video to communicate your story, mm. uh, television also brought in a lot of emotions to the storytelling. Yeah, yeah. You know, which... Uh, it allowed it, for a range. It allowed for a range. It, it brought in music. It yeah. brought in... 
you know, the songwriting and, and those kind of things would obviously naturally in a country like India, which is so uh, driven by music, you know, all our films yeah. are musicals in that sense, uh, as part of story. So audio became a very important thing as part of that. And hence the jingles. Then the jingles and the songs. I remember when I was a young account executive and, and Suresh Malik had told me these words and I've never ever forgotten them. He says, don't write a jingle. Write a song. Write a song that evokes the mood of the film. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, he he used to be very fond of me because I was into music. I used to play and used to stuff, yeah. and he used to say, "Come and listen to this." I don't know whether you remember a uh, amazing film that he did for national integration, the first one, "Torture Freedom." Um, you know, with all the sports, all the athletes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, all yeah. the athletes. Yeah, yeah. That they come into a stadium. Yeah. Yeah. After that was Milesur. Right? After that was Milesur. the first one when he did that uh, torture. That was was it just music? Yeah, it was pure music yeah. by uh, Louis Banks. Okay. Amazing, oh. amazing track. But Suresh Malik shared with me a pre-production brief that he written just for the track. It was a two-page note. Wow. He had visualized that entire track in his mind, you know, wow. and he had written that out, when the horn should come in, when the crescendo should happen. He, he, he was really knowledgeable about music. Oh. And I was like fascinated when I read it as a young I said, wow, this is the way you, you know, you you, are, you become a great creative director. And uh, and when he went to Louis Banks and, and showed him the brief, Louis Banks just said, you know, the track writes itself with a brief like this. And he created that fantastic piece. Wow. And after that came Mile Sur Mera Thumara, which is again a musical genius, I would say. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. You, it's goosebumps you, stuff. Yeah, you have, well, one was Piyush's lyrics, which were so powerful. The other is you start with somebody like a Bhimsen Joshi. Yeah. Now you don't direct a Bhimsen Joshi. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Bhimsen Joshi sings it the way he wants to. Yeah. And then you have Balmurali Krishna at the, towards the end. Yeah. He used three music directors in that one track. Wow. You know, in the beginning there was, I think, Bridgie or Nathanji, and then they used folk, Bengali folk, Punjabi folk, then came to yeah. Balmurali Krishna, then the southern influence. And then towards the end, he brought in Louis Banks for that whole crescendo, you know, with yeah. the film stars and stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a genius creation. It is, it is. And we, mean, were all, we were all youngsters in Ogilvy when that happened. No, yeah. I mean, just watching it as a consumer, I remember entire families loving yeah, yeah. it. I can still sing the song today. Everybody it's, it's, loved you know, after it. After so many years. You it's, felt proud, you felt connected <coughs> with the yeah. country. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. it was a modern day patriotic uh, anthem. I mean, in fact, today in today's political uh, uh, scenario, I would say that song needs to be played Absolutely. every single day on television. It's a great you thought, know? actually. It's, uh, exactly. I mean, that is the news. That is the debate, right? I mean, when there's so much of divisiveness happening Absolutely. now. Absolutely, celebrate the plurality, the unity of India. I think it's an amazing uh, piece of genius work that we need to remind ourselves yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. And, and these were the things that inspired us when we were youngsters. I was a young account executive that time. But both Piyush, Suresh Malik, uh, the other creative group heads like Josie Neville, uh, Firoza, they all, they, they, they used to take me for recordings even though it, I was not on those accounts. Wow. So I would go for recordings. I would see people like uh, Eshan, Loy, yeah. Shankar, they were all sessions, musicians, creating jingles, jingles and I used to go and yeah. see how it is recorded and Just simply because I had a, I had an interest in that yeah. and uh, I never saw it as something that is not my job or, you know, I said, let's go and learn. Yeah. You know? So there was so much to learn from these creative people. Yeah. That was incredible. But, you know, you keep saying these creative people, I think... Uh, 
the 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 the, sh- the shift you know you know you know and i noticed this a lot about the uh, advertising uh, people from a few years ago like when i say about 10 20 years ago and today is i think overall everybody is creative yes. it's just that some people choose to do the look after the business side of it some people yeah i think what has happened in my opinion see there the business is a creative business and therefore everybody needs to be having a feel for that creative yeah. product yeah. right even if you're not physically specifically writing it or creating it you're still selling it or you're, you're innately involved you're innately involved i think what has happened over the years is the business has become a little more unfortunately a little more compartmentalized okay you know uh so there is account management who's supposed to do x amount of stuff there is planning who does this thing there's a creative team that does this thing there's a production team that does this thing uh and and things have become a little too officious and departmentalized silos silos yeah i think especially in some of the bigger agencies i feel you got to break that hmm. you know hmm. uh if you break that and you kind of just work as one team on that one project then everybody feels that the sense of that creativity ownership the that. ownership of that creativity do you feel you do that at bbh yes we do ah, yes we do what's it's your like so the, well approach. we've done quite a few things one is that we we uh, we don't even sit in silos or okay. departments okay we've just mixed them up okay right so there's uh, no the senior most this, uh, this part of the agency no 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 no, no seething for no 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 we've just broken that up from day one day one day one we have no uh, we have no departmental silos we have no our office design is such that there are no partitions also right so everybody sits around the table with the problem in the middle the senior most business director and his junior most may be sitting opposite each other hmm. behind him may be one creative team and this side may be production and planning so it's all mixed up we don't hmm. allow departmentalism to Exist. dictate the flow of the work right but that that's what you know uh, looking back to your original question i mean i i suppose that's what excited me about advertising then and in many ways it still excites me i think you know uh, yeah. uh, the, the the process is of creativity is so it is amazing it is scaring but it's also very exciting it is super exciting yeah it, it i mean it just it's what keeps us going and it uh, it's the unpredictability of a new problem that's true you know and they say you know there's a old uh, saying that you're as good as your last ad because every new problem is a new one so yeah. so you got to rethink the entire solution yeah. so for that but then i got into advertising the phrase i heard was you only good as your next ad okay <laughs> so they keep dialing that up <laughs> so when you when you look back i mean when what, what do you feel has uh, has been the consistent thing through these changes i think the consistent thing that will never change regardless of what comes up and goes is the fact that your creativity needs to have business impact right clients hire you not to create just art for art's sake but clients hire you to use your creativity to solve business problems i don't think we should ever as an industry forget that right okay uh, whatever we do it's not just to win an award or something like that right it's it's to solve a, a marketing or a business problem at the clients and that's why he's paying you the money for right right that i don't think will ever change now whether you go from television into digital or both or or cell phone tomorrow and blah 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 using technology programmatic analytics whatever all of that at the end of the day is to make create business impact right 
right? And if your creativity stops doing business impact, then I think you're dead. The challenge for brands today, especially in, in fiercely competitive right. categories, is how do you constantly engage your audience who are being yeah. wooed by so many brands at every yeah. point of time. Yeah. And the whole e-commerce phenomenon, uh, you know, people are buying brands. That they've just heard about on Amazon just heard for about, the first just time. Just flirting, just see some, they yeah. see uh, other customer reviews, decide on brands. Yeah. So it's not... Like the affinity gets built over various touch points. It's, it's, an it's, not, an easy, it's not an easy task anymore. Yeah. In today's it's, digital it's world. It's fragmented, it's fractured. It's, it's very fragmented, it's very, and the consumer is very impatient. Yeah. If you don't grab them very quickly, yeah. excite them very quickly, uh, they are quite capable of just moving on simply because there are so many other choices. Yeah. Uh, so they're less forgiving also. Yeah, yeah. You absolutely. know, uh, so th- yeah, all those things have changed. Uh, but certain things don't change. Like I said, the need to tell Exciting stories, uh, whether it's a three-minute long format or uh, something short film that you released on, or it's a music video, or it's an ad, or whatever, you still need exciting storytelling to happen. happen. You still need strong idea. Uh, Consistency is something that is being debated. I'm perhaps a slightly old school on that. I I believe that brands need to. Be consistent and exciting constantly. Okay. When I look back on some of the great campaigns BBH has created, uh, Johnny Walker, yeah. Keep Walking, uh, there is a fantastic strategic consistency about where the brand owns personal progress as a thought. Yeah. But creatively, they've done so many brilliant pieces of work consistently over the years. Right. So while you want creative excitement, I think there needs to be a strategic brand consistency. That drives. Yeah. Same with Axe Effect or uh, Warsprung Technique for Audi and things like that. So, I mean, uh, one of the reasons I joined BBH was because I always admired this uh, creation of brand platforms and not just individual campaigns. Yeah, I've been a huge fan of the BBH planning and, and the basis but nowadays, nowadays the product. school of thought, there's one school of thought which I've been having debates with a lot of my planning colleagues in the industry is that they feel that consistency for today's younger audiences is uh, not that important. It's not that important. It's overrated. Uh, and therefore... Thanks to limited attention span. It's, it's a combination of everything. It's also, you know, uh, I heard recently somewhere that the average tenure of a CMO... Hmm. Is 22 months. Wow. Okay. Um, That's not even two years. Yeah. Or even if you take two years, I'm just saying in two years, how much of consistency can a brand achieve with, with you know, because a new guy comes in and wants to change everything again. Absolutely. Um, similarly, there's changes at the brand level teams. There's changes in the agency side. And every time there are new people coming on the brand, they want to do something new. Yeah, yeah. And in that process, I feel there is a, a bit of dilution of that equity of that brand. Mm. So while you can create new exciting stuff, are you really, have you really thought about what you're also giving up? Right? Yeah. So perhaps I'm a little more old school on this front uh, about wanting to retain that consistency for a brand and building a brand consistently. Right. Um, so I'm a big So that people that. can change, but the brand doesn't. 
I mean, look at it this way. Yeah? I mean, I'm a big admirer of Apple. Yeah. I'm a big admirer of Nike as brands, right? Yeah. And while there's a lot that has changed in Apple, right, uh, from a computer company, they became a phone company, they became a music uh, content yeah. company through I, I, iTunes, etc. Yeah. So their business has gone through a lot of changes over the years. Yeah. But there is something about being Apple yeah. as a brand that remains consistent. You know, the simplicity, the design, the elegance, everything about Apple, right? Same thing about Nike. It's always been about uh, sporting excellence. It's always been about that determination to succeed in, and perform in sports. It's always been a performance brand. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't change. It's got an attitude, right? So no, no, over the years, it's still, Nike is still that. Yeah. So I, I feel there is a strong case for consistency, though there are many people who would argue against that. Yeah, I, I, I know. I mean, brands that are born uh, in the post-internet era, you know, to, so to speak, have it both easier and harder. Uh, easier to to kind of make a mark, harder to sustain. Yeah. You know, um, because it's easy to get the eyeballs. It's equally hard to keep uh, to to remain part of the conversation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think. I think. Yeah. I, I feel, you know, there needs to be somebody on the client side or the client and agency side who needs to hold on to what does this brand stand for hmm. and not let go of it unless there's a very, very strong marketing reason to let go of it. Yeah. So as part of your uh, experience in with building brands, of the various brands that you worked on, um, this this may be difficult, but let's try any one brand journey or story that when you look back was like just an incredible story that you'd like to share? There are many campaigns that I have been very happy with uh, being part of over the years. Uh, but if I have to choose one, I would say the one that comes to mind uh, most immediately is Parachute Advanced. It's been amazingly trusted. It's been... Uh, <clears throat> and... and uh, Shogato, who's the current CEO, was then the marketing head. Okay. And Shogato and I worked very closely on this project. Uh, so one of the things Shogato was talking to me about, I mean, you know, is that he was worried that there is a whole younger generation of girls who were lapsing from oil usage. Right. They saw oil as something which was more their mother's generation thing. And like a nagging thing. A necessary evil, if I yeah, may use it. Yeah. And there were so many other new, exciting hair care products coming in. Serums. Shampoos had started to talk oil benefits of health and strong. And, you know, while right. shampoos are basically wash-off products, uh, they had started to appropriate oil benefits with much larger budgets, hmm. thanks to the multinationals and stuff right. like that. So, Shogato was more concerned about, you know, are we too focused on our core user, which is the mother? who brings mm. the oil into the house right. and not keeping an eye out for the next generation of younger girls who are saying, this is not for me, mm. right? So what happens to your future franchise? We were, we were talking about that. And, you know, there was a very interesting uh, data point that came out of the R&D that, you know, the need to oil your hair through the night, which was the current practice, right. is actually a bit of a myth. You actually need to put oil in your hair only for one hour. Okay. You don't need to oil it through the night. People had done it as a habit because you oil, you go to sleep, next morning you wash it off. Right. 
And then you know, we kind of immediately got excited by this data point and we said, like, listen, if you're talking to the younger girl who's, you know, who wants to dress up and go to a party maybe, you know, within one hour, she's not going to sit and oil her hair. Yeah. So, but this piece of information can be exciting for her. That is that not, is not a an overnight, overnight big regime. So that's how that one hour chumpy kia right, came message from. came about. That, you know, and there's always the underlying worry in people's mind that too much shampooing can be bad for you. Yeah. There is that, right? Because it's finally a, it's detergent, it's, it's cleaning. Correct. It's an active it's washing, detergent, right? It's a detergent, yeah. So we said instead of fight, trying to fight shampoos, why don't we become shampoo ka partner? Hmm. Hmm. And that made a tremendous impact on the brand. You know, despite being a huge market leader, it started to grow again hugely. And that, that, that's, that's one of the things I'm genuinely proud of. So this business is incomplete if you don't observe people. Absolutely. You know? So when you look around and when you see people, um, just as people, as consumers, as friends, as family, whatever, what, what do you, what are some, what, what is an interesting thing that you observed or an observed? Insight, perhaps. See, if I look at purely from societal and consumer changes, I would say Asia and within that India and China yeah. are amongst the fastest growing, changing regions on the planet. Yeah. Okay. The change of uh, the change is incredibly fast. Hmm. You know, what might take the West. 10 years to create, it takes us one month to adopt. Yeah, yeah. You know, fatak, it just changes. And we like bypass that. many things. We bypass many things, right? Yeah. A, a large section of Indian consumers have bypassed the landline yeah. and moved straight into mobile telephone. Absolutely. Right? Uh, now data is becoming even more cheaper with 3G, 5G, 4G, yeah. all that. With geo and all that, now people are consuming data like crazy, right? Yeah. Uh, so a lot of change has happened. So I would imagine the the... Television was the one big change that had happened in opening people's uh, minds to a different lifestyle and aspirations. Yeah. Television created so much of aspiration in this country. Yeah. Right? I think after that, it's been the mobile. Yeah. The mobile has again changed, again changed right? uh, what you can do and what you can uh, aspire for. Uh, there was a conversation about there is India A and there's India B hmm. at one time. If you remember, India A was more urban and progressive and India B was still traditional, mm. small town, etc. I don't think it is India A and India B anymore. Right. Okay. I think India B's exposure and aspiration levels have now come to meet with India A. At par. Yeah. Right. And I'm not talking about the super rich and all that, but I'm saying overall, if you look at the large... Access to the... Uh, middle class and then below middle class, it's it's now becoming a, you know, everybody has access it's to the settled, same thing. It's fully right? leveled, right? Uh, so that is one big change that I've seen in India. I think the fact that demographically India is one of the youngest countries in the world, hmm. where 65% of our population is below 35. Yeah, 15 to 25-50%. Yeah, it's an enormous thing. So if I look back, uh, my daughter is 26. If I look back, when I was her age and compared to what they are feeling at this age, mm. I, the biggest mistake I would make is to imagine they are going through a similar life as I am. Yeah. That life at 20 was very different very, for me. Very, very different. It's completely different for them. Right. right. And therefore, 
as marketers, the worst mistake you can do is to go back to your childhood to imagine and it. apply your experiences. Yeah. Okay, that's the worst thing you can do. That's great advice. It's also as a parent, I shouldn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, okay. and as the owner of a brand, I shouldn't do it. Right. You have to go into the new generation and figure out what taps them, mm. what works with them, what is their point of view. What are their fears? Their anxieties. What are their fears? What are their beliefs? Yeah. What works with them? What doesn't work with them? Motivators. Motivators. Yeah. And, and therefore, when you work with new age brands, like say, take Tinder, for example. For yeah. you work. Tinder is a very new age brand. It's a new age platform for young people. There's also, they've launched something which we did for them this year was OkCupid, which is targeted at the older. Right, yeah. And, and therefore, the, the values of OkCupid and Tinder are very different. Yeah. You know? So Tinder, I think you guys produce some very stylish work. I think we'll uh, we'll add some of the links in the show notes, maybe even for the earlier campaigns we spoke about. So can you talk to us a little more about that? Like how what what were your learnings from working on? Well, it was a project that we worked okay. for for Tinder. It was a very exciting project. Uh, the brief to us was very clear. They uh, uh, Tinder, for whatever reasons, global or whatever, still had a bit of a. Uh, male dominance of you know and in India a lot of women were hesitant to come on to Tinder right. uh, if you look at the numbers sheer numbers and they wanted it simply because you know of the uh, the image perception or right. whatever it had right and I think Tinder was wanting to have more women and reassure them that listen it's actually the the, the control is in your hands your, you control yeah it's, it's, it's really your decision and your change so we we worked on that a campaign and it was a wonderful wonderful uh, uh, no I remember the campaign yeah great. created by our Delhi team Vasudha uh, our creative director she did a fantastic and uh, that whole song and everything yeah. made it uh, far more liberating yeah that you know it is it is the woman's choice yeah. you know and not a sleazy yeah uh, space so a lot of women would find it attractive so that is a project that we did okay Cupid was about for an older generation because that's not just about hooking up or dating or whatever at an older generation you are looking for somebody whom a you can share partner. your 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 mind and your likes and dislikes yeah. and your personality and a connection a connection conversation yeah. so okay cupid was slightly different you know even even uh, there was a very interesting campaign we've done for diamond producers association i don't know whether you've seen that real is rare real yeah. is a diamond yeah right uh Internationally, in, in the US when it was launched a few years ago, it was targeted purely at the millennials. Okay. And that's how they realized that uh, uh, unlike the narrative for diamonds that was been there for so many years, diamond is forever. Yeah. The newer millennial generation was saying forever is too much for us. Hmm. What we want is now and is it real? We want something that's real and authentic now. Yeah. I don't want to worry about forever. I don't know whether I'll be with this guy for rest Forever of my life uh, yeah. um, I might be with him for five years but in those five years I want that relationship to be real and authentic and that's how real and rare real is rare real is a diamond came out that campaign our Very mandate yeah. yeah our mandate was to use that same platform and interpret it for India Okay. Real is real. What can it mean? So we did a very extensive research and here we realized a big difference between India and US in India in, in the US, these young couples first date for a while. Hmm. They might cohabit for a while. Hmm. And then at some stage, they may decide to get married. Right. Right? After they've gone through that journey. That's, of, the, that's the process. In India, it's the ulta. Okay. 80% of us still first get married. Hmm. Correct. 
So cohabit happens first. 80% of India, 90 actually, is arranged marriage, even today. That's That means f- you marry first, then you discover love on the journey. On the go, yeah. Right? So we did an extensive research. We spoke to couples across SECs and stuff. And they came out with very interesting stories when we asked them, when did you realize that this was real? Hmm. You know? And, and this that's is a all charming after marriage. journey. That's a very charming yeah, way. Yeah, of... And there were beautiful moments in that journey yeah. where a wo- one woman said, you know, uh, we live, I was married into a joint family. So hmm. there's very little time we get with each other. Yeah. But one night my husband woke me up in the middle of the night, took me out for a motorbike ride when everybody was asleep. And wow, that's when so I realized sweet. how much he is, looks after me, how much he cares for me. There were stories like, you know, uh, I wanted to go back to work, start working. Uh-huh. My father-in-law was not uh, very comfortable with that, but my husband stood up for me and said, no, she has to work. She wants to work. Hmm. That's when I realized this was real. Hmm. So there were multiple stories. We have a repository of maybe 40, 50 stories now. Wow. And we've used these real stories from yes, real people that becomes to, your bank, yeah. to create commercials. So I don't know whether you've seen our uh, India commercials. We've done three of them. We'll add these links in the yeah, yeah, show notes yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. So this is where I feel, you know, when you say when the, the power of strategy and creativity coming together. Right. When you really look at real insights into consumers, which are relevant today. You know, yeah. and then you create beautiful stories out of that. Out of it that. will connect. It will connect. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What Hegarty calls intelligence and magic. Okay. That's his term. I just love that term. Yeah. You need the intelligence, yeah, without which it won't resonate with the consumer. But then you need the magic, without which you won't attract the consumer. So creativity Super. does this, and this strategy and does this. Super. So for the non-advertising geeks out there listening, Hegarty is the H in the BBH. Sir, Sir John, John Hegarty. Yes. Um, when you work with, you work with all sizes, all shapes of businesses. I know it's difficult to kind of make a one-size-fits-all kind of advice. But if you maybe if you want to break it up, you can break it up also. What What is the kind of advice you would give to somebody who's building their brand? Uh, stay as close to the consumer as possible. The more you understand the consumer today, hmm. uh, the better it is. The more data you have, the more knowledge you have. Uh, it's easy for people to sit in a room and just say, I think, hmm. and then conjure up some stuff. And if if your gut is right, maybe it will work. Hmm. But I think going forward, especially with the kind of data available today hmm. and the analytics available today, you need to become much closer to, to, to your consumer. That is one. The second thing is, more and more people are, like if you look at, uh, I saw Google data recently, uh, 70% of India's Android phones mm. have downloaded some form of ad blocking software. Yeah. Which means people are paying to block ads. Yeah. At the same time, those people are willing to pay for great content. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So your communication and brand's uh, communication needs to start feeling more and more like content rather than ads. Absolutely. Yeah? Because if the consumer starts smelling a cell, chances are you might get blocked out yeah. and not seen. But if it's if your brand message is embedded in a very strong and powerful content, which is entertaining, which is moving, yeah. people are willing to be part of it. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, so I think one is, my first point was understand where your consumer is. Yeah. 
uh, understand what their passion points are. Yeah. Find ways for your brand to marry into those passion points versus just saying that I want to say this. Hmm. You know, uh, you better be relevant okay. and you better be exciting. Okay. Do you have a, do you have a one line favorite joke? Yes, I do. <laughs> What's your one line? Because we like to leave listeners on a nice happy lala happy note. My one of my favorites is from Dilbert. Okay, which does a lot of you know corporate. Uh, yeah, Scott Adams. Yeah, yeah. Dilbert is amazing. There's one line I'll never forget, uh, except that some days you're the pigeon, and on some days you're the statue. <laughs> I think it's so bloody true in in life, you know. One day you're shitting on somebody, and somebody, somebody, somebody shitting on you. So you're either the pigeon or the statue at some point of time in your life. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant, great way of looking at life in general. Yeah. Thank you for being on top of the brand. My pleasure. My pleasure. Talk to the Brand is recorded at Island City Studios and produced by Varun Singh. Special thank yous go out to Hussain Merchant, Jahangir Jahangir, Rupa Basu, Ashiar and the Naidu Punjabi design team. Do follow us on Insta and Facebook. You'll find the links in the show notes. Music for the show is designed by Zico. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us on iTunes, Castbox or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and see you next week. 